0: Before I jump in tonight, I want to deal with a couple things we'll, we'll do uh, particular tonight. We'll talk about marks of the church. We're, uh, we're shifting into a section on uh, what is the church, looking at the theology of the church. Now, I did want to mention I noticed something today that was an error that I didn't mean to happen, and I don't know if anybody else who's been following along on the schedule or the book has even caught it. Um, we skipped a chapter. Anybody, anybody other than Ms. Sandy know that we, missed, we skipped a chapter? So uh, basically what happened was, is when I was laying out the schedule, I don't know why, out next to the chapter before this one, I put an X. And I don't know why. And then when we put it into the computer, we just x that one out. I didn't mean for it to be X'd out. So it's, it's speaking about perseverance of the saints or how you can know that you're saved. Assurance of salvation. So what I'm going to try to do tonight, I'm going to spend the majority of our time on the marks of the church, but I would like to, as I alluded on the chapter of conversion, I alluded that we would get to a point where we could talk about how that you can know that you're saved, how that you know you're a believer. Well, I will try to do that uh, tonight. So we'll get through the marks of the church and then we'll get to that point. Before we do that, I just want to have a word of prayer to pause before the Lord uh, to bless our time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift and privilege of praying to you. It is an honor. It is genuinely a, a gift to us that we're able to speak directly to you with our requests. Lord, we're thankful for the comfort of knowing you are the God who controls all things and works all things for your good even, Lord, when we might not understand what You're at work doing. And so, Lord, tonight we look to You, the God of the universe, the One that cares for all people, the One that cares for the birds of the field and the flowers, and cares for all of creation with such detail, know just how much more You care for us. Lord, I... I pray we would find great comfort in your love and affection for us personally and those we love. And Lord, I pray tonight for those we might be thinking of, we might have loved ones or friends or people that are close to us that we know have, we have a great burden for. And so, Lord, we right now lift these names to you in our mind and our heart. We lift up uh, Gerald and Lydia as they face these difficult days and We pray for you to strengthen and give Miss Lydia great comfort and remove any pain she might be having. We pray for her family as they love her and care for her. Lord, we pray, Lord, for um, those we know that aren't believers or followers of you. And tonight we ask again, as many of us have asked before, for you to Open their eyes and their heart and grant them repentance so that they might be saved. And Lord, we come to you also just praying for our city and our nation and our country. Lord, we pray for our leaders that you would guide them, give them great wisdom. We pray for our nation and just us as a people that we would value life. We would value the vulnerable value those who need protecting. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for our church. We thank you for this church, the gift of it. We thank you for our pastor. We pray as he's going to be preaching again tomorrow, you grant him great words and wisdom as he speaks. And Lord, now as we spend these few moments in studying, may you give us a greater love and affection for your church, help us to understand it more clearly, and Lord, help this to be Uh, Help us to value more the gift of the local uh, church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to walk through a few things here with the nature and the marks of the church. Notice the summary statement at the top. It says the church is the people of God who have been saved by his grace and incorporated as the community of faith. People of God who have been saved by his grace and incorporated as the community of faith. You know, years ago when I was, I think I was, about to graduate high school, I was in college sometime. My dad, uh, at the time, took an article out of the paper, he cut up the article, and um, was, pulled an article about church, spoke about these people and their church and how the church had actually, was shifting uh, more and more away from Orthodox Christianity. In fact, the description here is uh, one of a small group at this church they were talking about were enthusiastic, and at the time this was Episcopalians, but they said they did not believe in God. They still had church, they had stopped believing in God. And one of the members said, We all love the incense, the stained glass windows, the organ music, the vestments, and all of that. It's drama. It's, it's aesthetics it's the ritual that's neat stuff i don 't want to give all that up just because i don't believe in God. that seems like a bizarre article well it's kind of crazy this was I think this was nineteen ninety seven on the article so we're looking over you know twenty years ago that this was happening and so if there's anything that Can be more controversial today. We have the gospel, but probably the thing that will distinguish us more than anything will be what we believe about the church. Oftentimes now, there is any form and every form of what you might think of or try to do to call a church. And at some point, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, He takes away the lampstand and you're no longer a church. So at some point, some things that may call themselves churches aren't actually biblical, real churches. In fact, this church doesn't sound like much of one, does it? We we wouldn't affirm it as a real church. And we also understand that just because something is not Hickory Grove Baptist Church, doesn't mean it's not a church either, right? We understand there are other places that we would affirm are churches. So how do we draw this line and define the church? In fact, uh, the church is the most visible part of Christian theology. People see the church more than they really do anything else we believe. When they think of Christianity, they think of churches. Churches. And it's the physical building, but the physical building representing all the people that are connected in the church. But it's interesting, a movement even among what we might think of as Christians is to take a disinterest in going to church. In fact, I think I've shared this in here before. Um, I I was doing a Christian club one time. And as I was at this Christian club, uh, it was like a, at a local high school. They, after school, meet for a Bible study. And so I'd go in and lead a Bible study every once in a while. So I'm in this Bible study. I think I tossed out a question. And I, I, I wasn't asking about church. I was just kind of asking a basic gospel question. And the girl begins with, uh, I don't go to church, but that doesn't make me a bad person. I didn't say you were one. She was immediately defensive about it. But there was already a thought in her mind that her Christianity was perfectly fine and great apart from a church. One quote I read today comes from far back in church history. However accurate it may be, it portrays the idea. I think it was Cyprian that said, no one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. In the sense that, if you are going to be connected to God, you need to be connected to the church. So the thought would be, Christians are a part of the church. What struggles for a lot of people is that, in some ways, we don't say, in order to be saved, you have to be at church. You can become a Christian, and be going to church is not necessary. However, a Christian that doesn't desire to go to church doesn't really seem like much of a Christian at all. It, it should be a fruit that plays out. The church should be important to us as Christians. Because oftentimes I've heard this question. In fact, I probably heard it two years ago. Um, had somebody going through our Discover HG class, and they said to me, Mike, I, I don't know where membership and a church is at in the Bible. So I could talk a little bit more about membership if we need to. But in particular, I said, well, the church is a major component. Quickly, I'll rifle through a few things. Jesus founded the church in Matthew chapter 16. He purchased it, purchased it with his blood in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He defines himself intimately with it as Ephesians chapter 5 describes Christ and the church as a husband and a wife are. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the church as the body of Christ. Romans chapter 8 speaks about it being the dwelling place of His Spirit. And then as you look at Revelation chapter 5, you see it not only as God's instrument for bringing both the gospel to the nations, but also it will be a great host of redeemed of humanity that he brings to himself at the end. The church is God's idea. It is his organization. If not for the church, how else can we live out John chapter 13? I'll read a couple verses to you here. Verse 34 and 35 of John 13 says, A new commandment I give you, That you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's the example of the church. When the church is gathered and people see, they see us loving one another. So this is an important thing. In fact, there's... No other Christian institution that is like the church. Jesus founded the church. So so it's not like other things. In fact, I'll go ahead and jump to one of my questions. Um, There are a lot of what we might refer to as parachurch ministries. In other words, uh, there might be, when I was in college, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, and it would met on the college campus. They believed the gospel. Uh, we, we'd study the Bible together. Um, I could give another one. The, the, the Christian club that I just referenced, it's part of a Charlotte network of clubs uh, called Youth Commission International, and they work to partner all the local churches, so not everybody's trying to start their own Bible study. All the gospel-believing churches start these local clubs, and they all work through YCI. Now, while be it, those are helpful organizations. I found, as a student pastor here, I found YCI to be very helpful to me to get on a school campus and to partner with other gospel-believing pastors in the area. We would go and all meet. And so it wasn't like us competing. We would work together to reach the school campus. While that is all helpful, Jesus didn't die for YCI or Campus Crusade or any of these others. The Bible says Jesus shed his blood. He purchased the church with his blood. So distinctly different, the church is not like those others. So oftentimes, I hate to see Christians where they find their Christian fellowship in an organization that is other than the church. You shouldn't be doing that. And um, those organizations really shouldn't be baptizing or doing things that the church should be doing. They should be funneling people to the church. So all of that to say, there is a primacy and an elevation of the local church above anything else. So let's talk a little bit about the church in the Bible. Let me give, like, let me give a biblical picture of how we would define the church i'm going to dive off into this is this is kind of a deeper class in a sense i feel like so sometimes i feel like i get lost a little bit in the weeds of conversation i hope this makes sense to me this would be uh, one of the challenging doctrinal ways you would approach the church so i'll say all that so if you say i don't know what you said in 10 minutes i told you before i said it right So one of the greatest challenges as we look at the church in the Bible, and in fact helps us look at the church in the New Testament, comes from how you view Israel's connection to the church. This is a major, if you study your Bible very long, you understand this is a pretty significant thing you need to look at. And I'm not meaning like modern day 2019 Israel. But I am meaning, I mean Old Testament, God's chosen people, Israel, versus New Testament, Jesus called out and established his church. That's what I'm talking about. What's the connection between the two? And this will define a lot more than you might would think. This will somewhat separate Baptists from Presbyterians or even to the The other extent, you might even see, um, I don't know what the right denomination on the other side would be, but I think in terms of how we interpret this connection. Let me try to explain this to you. Um, is, Is Israel the same thing as the church in the New Testament, or do they have continuity? In other words, are there some things that are the same or are they all the same, or are they completely different things? So in other words, uh, someone who might read the Bible through a covenant theology, they would look and hold it in flat lines. In other words, the Old Testament Israel is the same as the New Testament church. So this is why, if you were Presbyterian, you would look and say, when a baby's born, the Old Testament, the mark of the blessing of being a part of the people of God was circumcision. You would fast forward to the New Testament. Well, what's the New Testament mark of the blessing? Is baptism. So you'd baptize an infant. You would put it on kind of a flat plane. And then you would say they're the same thing. Well, it's not what we believe. I think it's too one-dimensional. To press it the other way, there are people who would divide the Bible up in pretty clear lines. Um, These might be uh, what you might refer to as dispensationalists. They would divide up the Bible and say, for this era, it was real, real clear. This is how God would operate. And they put a big line and said, this one's completely different. And... You know, an idea that would be affirmed there is to say, well, the Holy Spirit acts different after the day of Pentecost. There's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit versus the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We would agree with that. So, here's where I'm diving into this whole mess. is to say that we believe that they're not all different or they're not all the same we believe there are some similarities and some differences. We will hold kind of a middle spot between the two. Uh, Some of that gives you a little bit of explanation. There are gospel-believing brothers and sisters in Christ who understand and believe the gospel and will be in heaven with us that are Presbyterian. They do not believe baptism saves them, but they will hold this view of understanding baptism as part of the Old Testament. So that's what I'm saying If this isn't some terribly heretical belief, uh, we would just stand different on it in how we see the church. So that being said, let me talk you through the Bible, some ways to look at the Old Testament, New Testament. I'll show you some similarities and some differences. So here's how we'll start. Israel shares some of the same names in the Old Testament as the church. The Bible refers to it as God's son, one point speaks of as, uh, God's spouse, the apple of his eye, the vine, or probably the, the clearest one you can see that I think carries over is like a flock that God cares for. The imagery of a shepherd and his flock is one you can see carried from God shepherding his people Israel, which is very clear in the Old Testament, and you move to the New Testament and you get the idea of shepherds over the flock. God cares for his flock. There is a chief shepherd in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. So so you get this idea of a flock that is being shepherded. Both are similar. Um, Probably the biggest connection I would give comes in the term describing God's people in the Old Testament to God's people in the New Testament. The term for assembly, when it talks about God's people assembled in the Old Testament, is a Hebrew word, kahal. Um, And so this same Hebrew word, when they will one day translate the Old Testament, now follow with me here for just a second. They'll take the Old Testament, and they'll translate it into Greek. Okay, it's written in Hebrew. When they write it into Greek, they're going to take that Hebrew word, assembly, and they're going to use the New Testament word, ekklesia, for assembly, that we will read in our Bibles as church. So the same New Testament word they'll call church, when they translate the Old Testament over, they'll use these same assembly words together. All tied up to be God's chosen people. Old Testament, God's chosen people. New Testament, God's chosen people. His kingdom, his, His called out ones. His you see, Hebrews 10:25, "Do not forsake the assembling with believers, the ecclesia." Like there's one part in the New Testament, Galatians 6:16, 6, which connects us a little bit to the Old Testament. It connects the church to Israel. Let me read it to you. as for, as for all and as for all who walk by this rule, all those who are believers. Peace and mercy be upon them, all those that are Christians, and upon the Israel of God. There's just kind of terminology that connects them to the fact of thinking of Israel, God's people, and the New Testament church. So I want to say that I I don't want to just completely split this. I don't think it's right for us to just say there's no similarities between God's chosen people of the Old Testament and God's chosen church of the New Testament. I think that is the oversimplification of it. However, there are differences. When you go from Old Testament to New Testament, let me give you a few of the differences or distinctions, as you might call them. In the Old Testament, Israel was ethnically distinct. It was a certain people group God had chosen and called out. You go to the New Testament, it's ethnically mixed. It is people from all people groups that God is calling out. And so you see a difference between the Old Testament God's chosen people and the New Testament church. Another one, the Old Testament they had their own government for God's people. The New Testament the church is now living among the nations and all the governments of the world. So, so there's not some sort of theocracy where God is the one which we follow and we're going to create our own government. It's not how the New Testament church works. I gave the Analogy early. The Old Testament, they would circumcise males as a sign of the blessing of God. The New Testament, we baptize believers. Now, there are marks there, but they are distinctly different. One is done as a sign of the blessing. And the, and in fact, uh, I was teaching this. A couple of you ladies were there with me this morning. I was teaching through Romans 2 and saying circumcision is not just of Physical means it is also of the heart. You must have the response. So just that that baby can't have that response, so there must be a later response. So New Testament, you baptize only those who are believers or followers of Christ. At a minimum, God has chosen to glorify himself through groups of people, Old Testament and New Testament. So before I jump to the New Testament, I just want to pause. There's, there's more here. I, I, I'm not here trying to completely, I had probably six or eight other things here that I could draw out distinctions on. Old Testament, this description, I, I felt like that got a little boring. What I wanted to do is give you conceptually the understanding that we believe there is some continuity while at the same time believing there is a distinct difference between the two. I think that's a right biblical picture of seeing the two. And that helps us to get where we're at today. And that's that's why we would look at a Presbyterian brother or sister in Christ and say, we don't see this the same way as you do. All right, so let's talk about universal versus local. It's one you may not have thought too much of. But the idea of, if we say church, Do we mean big C church, like the whole thing? Or do we mean little c, like local church? Which one are we talking about, and how does the Bible refer to it? The answer is, we mean both. The term ecclesia, assembly, called out ones, those that are a part of the church, in the New Testament it's used 114 times. Of those 114 times... 109 or 96% of the time, it is used to refer to the church. A couple different times refers to like riots and a couple other different pieces of it. But overall, it's referring to the church. And um, I want to walk you through a couple scriptures, at least for one of them, to show you Jesus found the church. I mentioned it earlier. I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, describes where Jesus started the whole thing. He's talking to Peter. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A lot wrapped up here. A Couple things to mention okay, what church is this? Local church or universal church? Universal, right? I mean, Jesus says, I'm building the kingdom here. I am building big church here. So he refers to it here. This will be his church. And on it, Peter, he will give this initial start. Peter will be the leader of the church. There's a lot here, a lot of interesting things. We could get into talking about the keys because there are keys to the kingdom that are given to the church. Uh, some people say they're given to Peter so then there's this long, this is where the Catholic Church will get the Pope, the papal secession from this point and saying he'll become you know, the, the Pope in Rome and then there will be this apostolic papal secession that comes down the line from Peter and the authority all comes from this verse. I think it's more, there is authority given here. I think sometimes because we've rejected that idea, we reject the idea of any sort of authority transfer. I do think authority is transferred here. I think it's just transferred to the church. It's to the body of believers. The church now possesses these keys in a sense. They on earth now have some authority and interaction in the life of a believer you are responsible to accountable to the local church could expound that another time if you'd like to hear but there's there's a short version of yes sir oh okay all right Right. Okay. So the interpretation is that Christ would be the rock. But the authority is still granted, correct? Right. Okay. I understand what you're saying. Okay. All right, so at this point, At this point, I think for Jesus, he is going to give authority over to the church. Church carries this. Now, at this point, Acts uses to press further. and If you go into the book of Acts, you'll hear described different local manifestations of the church. You'll see these different places when there's the Ephesian elders of the church at Ephesus. You'll start seeing these churches established. And there are groups of people that are gathering in houses or different places. The church begins at that point. And if you think of Paul's letters, when he's writing to Ephesus or Philippi, he's almost always writing directly to the local church. So you now see this scriptural concept where you see the universal church talked about at times, but then you also see pressed into a local organization of believers, people that are gathered and organized as a group with elders and pastors and deacons and some sort of structure providing to a local place. In fact, you go to the book of Revelation I mentioned earlier, there are seven churches, right? So it's not just always one global church. There are these local manifestations. Um, Some lists that he gave from his book that were some things that are the nature of the church. What does it look like? I found several of these. I thought his list was helpful, so we'll walk through it quickly. I I think I left the bullets on your page there. First, the church is doxological. What that means, ultimately the church is there to bring glory to God. The whole purpose of everything we do is the glory of God. I, I mean... Everything we do should be traced back to bringing glory to God. That's a good rule to think about what is the purpose of why we're doing it. And even when we do missions, as John Piper will say, missions happen because worship doesn't. So our desire is to see people worship. And so therefore, if I share the gospel with somebody, they come to faith in Christ, they worship, there is somebody bringing glory to God. So my motivation, even in The mission is to bring glory to God. It's word-centered. It's based on the incarnate word Christ and the inspired word scripture. It is spirit-empowered. That means our gatherings are gifted and directed by the Holy Spirit. It is, in a sense, covenantal we have, as a body of believers, covenanted together to be bound to each other in this mission. Confessional. Meaning that we confess Christ as Lord, but we also, in a sense, we have a stated confessional set of beliefs that we hold to. That these are the beliefs, the The Baptist faith and message that we hold up, we say this is what we as a group believe together about the Bible. It is missional, meaning that we are Christian ambassadors, messengers of the gospel. And then the great phrase, it is the already but not yet, meaning that what we're doing here is already the church, but it is not yet fully the realization till we are all gathered around the throne as the full church together. So one day, the big C church, around the throne of God, will all be together. Now let's walk through a few things here if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed. There are four traditional attributes of the church. It goes back pretty far in history, these four things listed. I'll mention them fairly quickly the church is one meaning there is unity found in the church since God is one the church is one and so you read in the Bible there's uh, Acts chapter 4 we'll speak about the church was found unified sharing things together you'll read the book of Philippians there's a great desire for unity in the church there is something to the effect of us being unified so the church is one Two, the church is holy, meaning it is set apart because God is holy. This is for a couple reasons. Both, Both us as a people have now been declared righteous because we have been justified. And we are also being made righteous because we are being sanctified. So there is a holiness to the church. Now we'll stop on the one that sometimes is the most confusing. Is the church, if you read the Apostles' Creed, it'll say the church is one and holy and Catholic. Or, the better term probably the word you use is universal. Meaning that it stretches across space and time because God is Lord of all the earth. I mentioned earlier the universal church, the big C church. That's what the word Catholic means in its traditional meaning. So when you see that in the Apostles' Creed, or you see it listed in those scenarios, although it does carry the thought of the Vatican and Rome and all that comes with that, that is not the, the meaning of it written in this scenario. That's why I'd probably, oftentimes better to say universal for clarity. However, when Catholic is said, it does not mean the Pope and Vatican and all that comes with it. It is apostolic. Ephesians 2.20 talks about how it is, the, w- the church is built on the apostles' teaching. So as the apostles taught, the word was written, and then, therefore, the church was launched, and so uh, we we are founded on the Word of God given through the apostles so that 's the meaning of those four terms so uh, the second level this those historically rewind back to i don 't know three or four hundred a d but if we press up to today the Modern Reformation in about 1500, you'll find the marks of a church. This is as they were stepping away from the Catholic Church. They started to say, at core level, what is a church? And historically, there are really two marks. People have added third ones over time, but really two are the ones that you see here. If you were to define at base level, what would you call a church? What would you have to have? You don't have to have chairs. You don't have to have a building. What do the people have to do at base level to start calling it a church? Here's the the basic two things from the Bible. First one is rightly preaching the word of God. There's a centrality to God's people from the very beginning, from God speaking things into creation to um, think of, Ezekiel 37 and the dry bones and speaking them as they come back to life to the word of God in the New Testament and the preach word in 1 Timothy. There's this idea all through the Bible of the centrality of the word of God to his people. And therefore, because it is based on the word of God, where the word of God is taught, that is one element of the local church. The other basic piece that the Lord has given the local church are what we call the ordinances. Now, there'll be an entire week we'll spend speaking about baptism in the Lord's Supper. My goal tonight is not to expound those. However, it is to just say the church, where rightly done, will do baptism in the Lord's Supper and teach the word. That is the core level. Some people will say church discipline is a third one, some people will say church ministry is a third element. Uh, I, those could be outflows of these others. Just say the first two are the traditional two main ones that you should know or to be aware of. Major areas to avoid. This is a big word right here to begin this phrase. I saw it written in the notes today and I thought it'd be fun to say. I gotta slow down for it. Exclusivistically. I made it claiming that one's church is the only true pure church. So one of the dangers to look at is just to say, we don't want to say Hickory Grove is the only place. So we need to be generous and kind where the gospel is preached and the word is taught and there is a clear understanding of what the true church is. So we need to understand we are a part of a global church, global movement of God, of network of churches. We're not the only one. Second one. Minimizing the importance of the local church in the life of the believer. In other words, something to avoid is to make the local church something that's not necessary or just an addition to your individualistic Christian walk. The the Lord intended the local church to be a major portion of your walk with the Lord. There's definitely a place for your private devotion to the Lord. I don't want to take away from that. However, um, I think it's Mark Dever says this, uh, that if you think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, he says, how many of those can you exhibit by yourself? How many of them are exhibited when you're with people? So the example here is just to say, you need the church in order to live out the fruits. So just to press that in is to say the local church is a part of the Christian's life. We should not minimize the need for the church. First, we should be thankful for the gift of Christian community. I had a little bit of this even Sunday. I tried to, I tried to press this idea in the sermon Sunday with, with the thought, and when I talked about the bond they had so far away, and then I talked about how he was like, I thank my God for you and this mission with me. Um, Talked a little bit about how we're in the room singing together. It's, it's to one another. There's that connection. So the whole point is here to say um, American Christianity has individualized us too much and pressed us into thinking that uh, I'm walking into a room to just hear some things and then walk back out. And for the people that just slip in the balcony on a Sunday and then slip back out and have no interaction with our church the rest of the week, they're really missing the idea of what the biblical church is supposed to be. And so, just to to press that in there, be thankful for the gift of Christian community. And the second one is to repent of the disrespect for or rejection of the church of Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to think of it this way, but would you say that if a person is not interested in being in part of a church at all, Would you even press that in to say it's sin? I I don't know. i just say it's an interesting question we could get pretty close to. And I would probably just say, at core level, the Lord has designed them for that and they're rejecting what he's asked them to be a part of. So, that being said, that's a part of living out the doctrine. Let me mention a couple questions and I may save just to tack on another week, because of time, and I know you'd rather hear, I know y'all would rather sing. Um, I'm going to save the, how you can know you're saved for another week. But I do want to mention a couple questions, and then John's going to come up, lead us in a couple songs. Um, Some people might ask, why are there so many different churches? That's usually one of the bigger challenges, you know, you look at, like a Catholic church, you'll say wherever it's at, so there's a church that, that's that way. But why do you have so many different denominations? Why is it you guys disagree on so much stuff? It seems, like, seems confusing to me. Um, you know, one of the things that's very unique to us versus other denominations or however it might be, and this is true, particularly a Baptist, is we, we have what we believe is autonomy of the local church. And even to press that further, we believe in priesthood of the believer. Is that in some regard, we are all here to interpret. Even though I might teach this, you still are the one who's able to interpret. You're still the one who's looking at the Bible and discerning. There's not some sort of special access. I mean, exhibited by my brother Jim tonight with his input on the lesson. But that's right. But that's the point, though. is I'm not, I'm not some, have some sort of, this is how I'm going to interpret it, and then you all have to take it. You all interpret it yourself. You're thinking as we go. And so as a part of that, that's going to generate a little bit of diversity in people's interpretation. It's going to generate some differences as people are looking at the Bible. Versus just one person says, this is what you believe, and everybody has to deal with that. So that's going to be some of the the distinctions that will generate some of that. And um, sometimes people want to say, well, can't we just all love Jesus? Like, why do we have to have all these denominations? Why are these things, why do things matter? Why can't we just have, and I've seen churches try this, and it's the unique phrase, they tried it years ago, to call it non-denominational. Let's start their own church and they want to be Jesus-loving folks, and they call it non denominational But Before you know it, they have to define a set of beliefs. They have to make a decision on baptism. They have to make a decision on some of these things we just talked about. And before you know it, there's another brother in Christ, and this is where I say, there are people that will differ on some of these views, and this is where we talk about, it might be helpful here to say there are first-order doctrines, where... It's the gospel, and if you don't believe any of this, you're either a Christian or not. There might be second-order doctrines where I can say you're still a Christian, but we just don't go to church together. That's fine. You're, you're a Christian, but we just, we can't agree on this particular, me, you know, maybe you believe that your church has to be, your church is led by elders, and this church is led by the congregation. It does different. Yes, sir. I think I think a house church could be just fine. It's biblical. They happen in the Bible. I think eventually it grows to a point, and all of a sudden you got to organize, and can you still meet in the house? But I think there there are people that meet in houses, and there are people there that can operate. But I think as long as it's organized, it's not some glorified Bible study, and you know you're just meeting in a house. You might not want to call that a church. I think if you would organize in a house church, I th- I think that's how can you say it's not biblical. I mean, it happens in the Bible. Uh, you see people meeting in houses. I just think there comes a point where we can't all meet. I mean, none of y'all's houses are this big, right? So we can't meet in somebody's house. Right, don't sit in the window. Right, <laughs> in the window. <laughs> so That makes sense. So anyway, I just say all that to say, um, oftentimes people will try to make that distinction, but before long, you're going to have to make decisions on some of these things. And that's where denominations come in. And denominations aren't as bad as, I think, in the 2019 world. They're not as bad as some people see them to be. It can be very helpful to label and clarify your doctrines and not minimize them. John, why don't you come on up and we'll take one more question. Yeah, I'd be careful to do that because I don't know if if the intention of that passage was meant to be speaking about different local bodies. I think the intention of, the question is, do you see like different denominations or different churches as like different parts of the body of Christ? I I don't think, I don't think I would interpret that passage. So I'd be a little careful with that analogy. But I do think there are other other churches that can be helpful with different gifts. I just don't know if I'd use that passage. All right, John. Everybody wants to sing. Is their part they've been waiting for all night? It'd be nice to just play underneath your teaching, wouldn't it? Man, I can get going too.
1: We're all just figuring this out tonight. We don't really know how this is going to go. Or Tell you what, we're going to sing a couple songs and maybe uh, after tonight's over, you guys can come give me some requests on what we should sing in the, uh, in the upcoming weeks. But you know, we can't sing uh, sitting down, so let's all stand together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. My story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Don't you love that song? Let's just sing a little bit of this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word, just to. good to sing together to the lord let me pray for us we'll be dismissed father that is uh, so true we take you at your word we trust you it's your word that we live by i pray that we would be people of the word that as we leave here today god the message of the gospel that has saved us would be on our lips and on our hearts and you would use us to point people to you everywhere we go this week it's in your name we pray amen